Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why, I've chosen to use their gear above all else. Here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created, and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three-killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 243. Today, we are talking with Travis Keith, a quiet public land killer from Oklahoma, so stay tuned. up everyone happy wednesday to you hope you're doing well hope you are feeling fine i was actually just looking at the calendar trying to figure out exactly how much longer i have until my whitetail season kicks off and i think from the time that this podcast launches i will have right around four and a half weeks until i am with bow in hand and in the timber chasing whitetails it's hard to believe that's almost already here bunch of folks out there getting started even before that with some of those states that open up either beginning of September, you know, or if you're headed out West to antelope hunt, you'll be cranking up here. Um, even sooner than that, I think antelope comes in sometime around the, around the end of August. So right now, man, I am just literally watching cell camera pictures roll in, getting super stoked. I actually got up this morning and flung some arrows with my bow. Cause it was one of those mornings where it just kind of felt, you know, I don't want to say that the weather has turned, um, but we've just, we had a pretty nasty hot spell here in PA. And so we just had some nice cool weather that kind of rolled in. It was one of those nice cooler mornings where it just felt good to be out flinging some arrows with the bow. And so that's what I did in the, uh, in the backyard this morning. And then also today, just to kind of get my mind right, I ordered 
a bunch of lithium batteries because at this point now it'll be you know a check of the cameras here sometime after that August twenty second ish time frame, and then it'll also you know be at the same time kind of time to move those, but then additionally kind of put out the remainder of the arsenal in those you know fall specific uh, fall specific kind of areas, and really kind of get ready for um, ready for the ready for the season. Sad to say, locally I don't really have anything. Uh, to speak of in terms of a deer that I might want to try to go after. Um, it's, but it's not surprising. That's kind of been the MO and I haven't really checked any of the cameras around here other than a couple of the cell cameras. And they're in some harder to reach places that are really more kind of probably October ish, mid October kind of time frame uh, areas. And so not surprised that there hasn't been a whole lot kind of come across those cameras, but I do have a card check coming up here in the next couple of weeks. And so, at that point, I'll start to really kind of make a game plan. But, you know, inventory on some of the other stuff that I scouted this past winter um, continues to roll in and continues to be uh, positive, I guess, is one way to one way to say. And so, you know, I kind of try to let my intel kind of uh, at least, you know, locally, so to speak, I kind of try to let my intel tell me what my season's going to look like as far as where I'm going to spend time. And um, it looks like I'm going to be spending more time a little further away from home than I was originally kind of anticipating for this year, which is just as cool, you know, bust out the trailer and, and get some time in the trailer and, and live and work out of that and do some bow hunting from that. But, uh, not going to belabor this up front, man. You know, before I, before I jump into today's podcast, just want to make quick mention if you're heading out on a travel hunt or not, but if specifically, if you're heading out on a travel hunt, head over to skullbrewcoffee.com, pick yourself up some of the backcountry pour over packs. So you're not suffering through shitty coffee on your hunting trips. This is killer coffee pour over. Uh, better than the rot gut that you'll end up getting from the instant stuff that is out on the market. So skullbrewcoffee.com, use the promo code TFTS21, get yourself some savings for that. And then also head uh, over to the uh, truthofimstand.com or on my Instagram page and uh, check out the merch I have there. You can use the promo code TFTS21 and get yourself a discount on that as well. So let's get jumped into today's podcast, man. A couple weeks ago, we had Eddie Claypool on, which I'm sure a lot of you guys know who Eddie is. He is a killer, probably one of the best travel public land DIY bow hunters ever. Um, you know, the guy just doesn't doesn't have a bad season, it seems like. Um, so whenever he mentioned a fellow by the name of Travis, that it was a buddy of his that he felt was the best public land bow hunter that he knew, I immediately was like, I got to have this guy on the podcast. Actually had a couple of you out there, uh, a couple of listeners reach out and say, hey, when are you going to have Travis on? Wanted to hear from this guy. And so um, he's by nature kind of a, you know, not real in the, he's not in media or anything like that. And so, you know, I wasn't sure whether or not he would even be willing or interested to come on. Um, he's a pretty private person. Uh, so Eddie reached out to him on on my behalf to see if he'd be interested in coming on the show. Um, he said yes. And so I was super stoked to have him on. Travis is from Oklahoma, uh, hunts all public land, um, and really is probably just about one of the most humble guys with uh, that you might meet uh, in terms of a guy who is killing high caliber deer regularly. Um, a lot of what he kind of, <clears throat> I guess, attributes his success to is, is, is patience to a degree. Um, but also his access. Um, that's the one thing I picked up from him is that he's meticulous about his access and will take the path least traveled or hardest traveled to make sure he's getting into an area that's going to be fresh, clean and give himself the best opportunity. Um, super awesome guy, great hunter, really killer conversation. Uh, I personally was looking forward to doing this show. So hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening.
All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. Uh, today, I have on a guest that uh, I, I just recently learned of. I was turned on to him from a, a fellow we just recently had on the podcast. We had our buddy Eddie Claypool on, and we just kind of got to talking about you know different hunters that he knows that you know that hunt public land that he thinks are good hunters and I'm always kind of looking for you know guys that maybe you know are off the beaten path so to speak um you know quiet killers maybe <laughs> as I like to kind of refer refer to them um and Eddie turned me on to this fella uh, this is Travis Keith the man with two first names is joining me today how's it going buddy uh good good how are you I'm doing appreciate all right. you having me yeah man I appreciate you uh I appreciate you coming on I know you're I know you're pretty quiet, so, you know, I know whenever I was talking to Eddie and he had mentioned you, and I was like, hey, you know, would you mind reaching out to him and see if he would come on the show? And he was like, I- I'll talk to him. He's like, but I'm not sure he'll do it. <laughs> he'll do it. So <laughs> I-, I appreciate you making time and, and, and coming on and, and chatting. I'm just, I'm looking forward to, to chatting with you. I know you and I had a chance to catch up just a little bit on the phone. I guess it was last week uh, just to kind of connect because it's always kind of weird when you just the first time you're talking to somebody's on a podcast, right? It just feels kind of weird. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. This, is, this is the first for me. So Awesome. Well, we're going to, we're just going to be two dudes talking, talking deer hunting. And uh, so I think you're more than equipped for that. So we'll just, dude, I think we'll just go <laughs> ahead and, and jump in. So I always kind of like to start with a little bit of a, of an icebreaker, so to speak, just to kind of level set folks. So they know a little bit about you and a little bit about your background. So if you wouldn't mind, just, you know, tell everyone that's listening, you know, where you're from, what you do for a living. Yeah. Um, like you said, my name is Travis Keith. I'm from Northeast Oklahoma. Um, I live, you know, North of Tulsa. Um, I grew up in Owasso, Oklahoma, pretty much my whole life. Um, currently I, I'm like a stationary engineer, kind of boiler chiller operator, you know, main, main operate and maintain, you know, HVAC equipment for, for a large campus in Tulsa. Um, that's, that's what I've done since I was about 19 at different buildings or properties or whatever, just kind of in the HVAC industry. So right. nice. blue, blue collar for sure. Very nice. Are <laughs> you a, by chance, are you a, a Sooner fan? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually I work for OU. That's the campus I work for. Yeah, oh. I work for the university of Oklahoma there at the Tulsa campus. So, right. um, yeah, I'm a, I, I like to, Sooners football team and, and softball team and and obviously got to root for them at work so <laughs> right you might, <laughs> might make some enemies if you don't right yeah 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 well because you guys are making some waves here recently or making some noise with uh i think you in texas uh possibly leaving yeah, for the sec that's kind of crazy that is, that is very crazy yeah yeah way way beyond my pay scale well maybe maybe you know we have a pretty broad reach in this podcast they might come talking to you after and i'm just kidding (laughs) this will actually be a chink in your resume actually we're doing you a disservice you know there's definitely not getting any promotions after this one i'm just kidding um yeah so yeah so you're in oklahoma right you grew up born and raised in in oklahoma how did you how did you start hunting like was it typical you know, your family was always into hunting and you just kind of fell, you know, followed suit or was it something a little bit different? Um, pretty, you know, semi-typical, um, you know, we grew up out in the country, you know, so I, you know, kind of had free run of, of some space, but, um, as a, as a real young kid, I mean, my dad, he was a squirrel hunter. That was his thing. Um, and he was really good at it. And that's where I learned a, a lot of, just woodsmanship was going out with him and you know we 
going out in September and, and flipping around river bottoms and, you know, just learning how to walk like an Indian, you know, walk silent and look for, look for, you know, leaves shaking and, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, he, he really wasn't like a big game hunter, you know, per se. Um, during, during one of some of our adventures, you know, I, we come across some deer and that, that really, I was about seven, um, when I killed my first deer with him and that, that opened my eyes to a new world once we, you know, got to try that, you know, for dinner or whatever. Right. And uh, I was like, man, I, I want to go deer hunting now. Like squirrel hunting's fun and shooting, you know, dove hunting, you know, and stuff like that. But and so he started taking me deer hunting, and it was a long time before I, you know, I think I was 13 before I like killed my second deer. Um, and he he took me enough to get me hooked, and then and once once I was hooked, you know. He just kind of let me go, and um, at about age 13, I think that's when I bought my first bow and arrow, um, just from a pawn shop. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know you could adjust the sights or anything like that. I just took it home and started shooting it or whatever. And, um, you know, about that time, I got an older brother that I hunt with a lot, and uh, he he didn't grow up hunting, you know, as much as I did, but he's about eight years older than me, so. I was 13 and he was, you know, in his early twenties and kind of wanted, wanted something to do, you know, something we could do together. So, so he got a bow and we just started shooting arrows in the backyard together. And, um, you know, which eventually led to, you know, I loved hunting. I was always in, in, in hunting all the time and he, you know, so, so he really doesn't like, you know, killing animals and stuff, but, right. But he, he, he kind of got the bug and, and we started going, you know, he would take me and we would go. And then we both just kind of got, got the bug. And mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've spent a lot of time together, you know, just yeah trying to figure it out over the years. That's, that's <laughs> cool. That's, that's always kind of cool. You know, when folks have someone, you know, an older brother or something like that, if, even if they're not super serious or into it, just having that companionship and someone to kind of yeah. pal, pal I mean, around he, with. Yeah. He, he wasn't in the beginning, you know, but like, we're both competitive. I mean, he, we're both, you know, grew up wrestling. He was a, a wrestler, a really good wrestler. Um, and so I just, you know, as the son of a welder, the brother of a wrestler, I had to be tough. You know, there wasn't really, <laughs> there wasn't any other choice. So yeah, yeah. Like, I, you know, keep try, trying to keep up with him or, and so there's a, there's a lot that adds into that. Just being mentally tough. There's yeah. different things you go through, you know, and, and having somebody like that there to like, you know, to push you or, you're competing against kind of, you know, and you push each other. And, but, uh, but yeah. now, I mean, yeah, he, he works as hard as I do. And it's just, you know, we've, we've had a lot of good times for sure. That's awesome. It, it, that you and I have that in common. I was, uh, my dad was a welder in the Navy, went to work for a factory back home. I grew up wrestling. So, okay. <laughs> and then, <laughs> All my cousins, you know, were wrestlers as, as well. Okay. So, you know, it was, I can, uh, I can understand the, uh, you the, can relate. To, I can yeah. totally relate the tough upbringing. I mean, there were plenty of cousin fist fights, you know, and thing. I didn't have a, a brother, but we spent so much time together, you know, our, our family where it was, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty rough and tumble. You know, we had a couple of different yeah. tiers well, of cousins that we, you know, some of that yeah. were fairly older probably about your brother's age older than us you know where i was probably 13 14 and they were in like their you know 20s or just graduating from high school and my other cousins that are about my age we were all 
you know, 10, 12, 13, maybe 14 years old. And the other, the older cousins just, I mean, they just whooped our ass pretty much every chance, yeah. every chance they got. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that, that mental toughness, I'm totally, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally familiar with that. But what's the other yeah. thing that kind of is funny that struck me when you were talking is that, you know, I've done a lot of, a lot of podcasts. I think, I don't even know what number this is, Travis, that we're doing like 240 something. And it's funny because mm-hmm. a lot of the, a lot of the guys that I get a chance to talk to that, I, at least in my experience that have been, that, that have been really good hunters, they, a lot of them didn't start out deer hunting, actually. A lot of them started right. out, you know, and that they didn't have necessarily like, whether it was their dad or their grandfather kind of getting them into hunting. It wasn't typically, you know, big game related. It was always, you know, hunting squirrels, rabbit hunting, pheasant hunting, right. like bird hunting of some sort. It was always that kind of smaller game. And maybe that was because that older, you know, the older generation or whatever, maybe that was just a lower barrier to entry for them cost wise and stuff like that. So that was just what they did. But, you know, is there anything that you picked up during that time, you know, that you can kind of think about that it's like that you still use to this day, maybe might be one way to ask it. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, kind of like I mentioned, just, you know, like I remember going, you know, hunt, squirrel hunting with my dad and I mean, like, the main thing he would say when we were slipping through the bottoms is, you know, you got to walk like Indian, you know, and he just meant walk silently. Right. Like don't make noise. You walk slow and don't make noise, you know, and you're looking, you're always looking, you know, um, and yeah, that, that, that's a, a lesson. Me and my, my friend Jeff, he grew up, you know, kind of hunting with us. And I mean, we still use that when we're, you know, last year when we were in Colorado slipping around, you know, trying to look for elk, you know, like that's, that's always in the back of your mind, you know, when you're, when you're still hunting, you know, like, you know, that's just a good lesson. Then. Yeah. But, um, it's... But yeah, you know, like I, I think, of, you know, maybe partially to your comments of like some guys just growing up hunting, you know, a little bit of everything, small game to, to eventually large is like, you know, you're actually learning how to hunt, you know, on your own. Like if you're hunting a bird, uh, you know, if you're hunting a squirrel or if it's a rabbit or whatever, like you're having to figure it out on your own, like, and, and grow from that, you know, it's not just, you know, be a 10 year old kid and, you know, your dad take you out and set you on the food plot and harvest the biggest deer they grew that summer, you know, Yeah. which that's awesome. I, I have cousins that get to do that stuff, you know, and there's, there's two different worlds of hunting and, you know, I'm, they're two different ball games, really, you know. So yeah, but that's that's how I think of it. I mean, like I got to grow up and just kind of had to figure a lot of things out. Yeah, you know, we we went to the woods and he he taught me a lot, you know, about about safety and about you know slipping around and you know different things and yeah, um, and then a lot of things you just got to figure out on your own and what works and what doesn't work and you know messing yeah. things up is is where you learn. You know, like when you screw it up if that's when you got to learn from it. So the next time you don't screw it up again, you know, and yeah. if somebody answered all the questions for you, I don't know if it would be that fun, you know, like if it was just, here's yeah. exactly what you got to do, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was always for me yeah. growing up, it was, it was kind of an adventure, you know, it was kind of how I looked at it. You know, I was, I grew up in a rural area, you know, and, um, 
similar to you, my, I mean, my dad deer hunted and we deer hunted growing up, but you know, we did a lot of small game hunting too, whether it was squirrels or rabbits or whatever. But the cool thing was, was growing up in the middle of nowhere, I could come home from middle school and, you know, grab a shotgun out of the, out of the closet after school and be like, I'm going to go pheasant hunting today, you know, and just mm-hmm. to your point, just go out and explore and mess it up and, you know, and just be in the woods, you know, and kind of learn yeah. a little bit on my own, that little bit of independence, you know, was, was good. And it's interesting that, you know, talking about slipping through quiet, you know, you, your dad kind of saying, you know, you got to walk like an Indian, you know, it's funny mm-hmm. how, you know, we have all these things in hunting, like from tools, gadgets, whatever the case is. And when it comes right down to it at the end of the day, still some of the most, two most effective things is the ability to be quiet and observe, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. you know what I mean? It comes down to like some pretty simple things to try to be successful. It's like, if you don't do those two things, well, it doesn't really matter what else, what camo you have or what boots you got or whatever. It still comes down to being quiet and being still. Right. Yeah. Which, which you can't go out and, and buy off the shelf. Yeah. And you know, and so that's where a lot of the shortcuts come in. You know, yeah, exactly. Get, get get the same result just with different shortcuts or whatever that yeah that that work for different people. So I want to I want to mm-hmm. transition here real quick, man, and I want to start talking just a little bit about you know where you're from to get a kind of a a sense of you know the the habitat and terrain. So can you just kind of paint a picture, I guess, for me of the area that you that you typically hunt? Is it is it walk in permission access? Is it you know public chunks? You know what what's the habitat and terrain look like? Um, currently and for the, the past six, eight years, um, I've just been, been hunting public property in, in Oklahoma and, and Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Kansas, everybody knows there's walking ground and there's public ground. I really don't have any permission. I don't really have any permission spots that I can think of at the moment, really. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, I mean, it's, it's prairie habitat creek bottom habitat to, to river bottom habitat um northeast oklahoma has a lot of lakes um a lot of rivers and a lot of lakes which there's a lot of creeks flowing into all these lakes and um so there's an unlimited amount of water you know shoreline creek river access um and obstacles um and and in kansas you know there's the same you know there's rivers not near as many lakes and rivers up there you got some rivers and creeks and then just the the prairie habitat itself is a different um different challenge in itself when you start getting into some of the native blue stem you know more wide open spaces that it's different it's a different hunt because it's more wide open but sometimes it's you know it kind of narrows down your options of where to go sit you know and it kind of it's a no-brainer sometimes you know so right so, but, uh, like, so in a season, I, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting you're kind of, kind of probably transitioning back and forth between probably hunting from a, right. an elevated set to hunting from the ground and still hunting. Is that, is that fair or, or are you doing one more than the other? Um, I pretty much set the tree stands, mm-hmm. um, all the time, pretty much. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I was talking to Eddie and he, he said the same thing. And it's funny cause I, I've, yeah. I know some other fellows that have hunted, you know, the prairie area and, and a lot of those guys will hunt almost exclusively, exclusively from the ground. And I just right. find it interesting that in, 
look, you know, you get it done with regularity. Eddie gets it done with regularity. And then the guys that hunt from the ground that I know get it done with regularity. So, so for me, a guy who's going to the Kansas for the first time this year, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it going, well, man, I don't really know what my best option is going to be, <laughs> going to be, you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, I, I know some, some guys like that, that, um, man, they get it done off the ground and I, I've had some really interesting experiences off the ground. I'm not going to, Say I haven't. I've, I can only really think of maybe one one good buck um, that I took from the ground, and that was a funny story. But uh, but in Kansas, I've had some interesting things. You know, some of that was on private property back ten years ago. But um, I can definitely see how guys can get it done from the ground. You know, uh, but. What was the, I'm not that uh, confident sometimes, you know, out in the, in the open and trying to sneak around from bush to bush. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, how much, you know, especially if you're hunting elevated a lot of the time, you know, well, let's, let me back up for a second. I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Let me just start with, you know, when you're headed to one of these pieces, because, you know, again, this is a little bit for my own education as well as I'm getting ready to head out there. I'm trying to absorb as much knowledge mm-hmm. as I can, you know, what's your typical scouting process look like out there and you know let's say it's a brand new piece to you that you've never hunted before a piece of public or walk-in access or you know whatever the case is you know where are you starting because for me when i look at it whether it's pennsylvania ohio even when i was in missouri or iowa or whatever you know yeah the terrain's a little bit different but i'm still going to have elevation changes i'm still going to have significant blocks of timber and, and things like that to where I'm, I have some familiarity with, with those things from living in Pennsylvania. So it translates, but for mm-hmm. me heading to somewhere like Kansas or Oklahoma, where the terrain is just so vastly different from what I'm used to, you know, I'm right. just curious, you know, for you, when you see a new piece and you're going to hunt this new piece of public, you've never seen before, where are you starting? Are you starting online and kind of going from there? Or are you going straight boots on the ground? Uh, I mean, I'll spend a lot of time, you know, on Google Earth, and I'll I'll look at different places, and I'll look at them a bunch of different times, you know, throughout the year. Sometimes because it's funny, like I'll I'll look at something on Google Earth, and then I'll I'll go walk it out, mm-hmm. and then I'll come back and look at it on Google Earth again, and then it makes better sense, and then you know I may go walk it out again and and look at it again on Google Earth, and sometimes like it could be a year later, I'll pop pull up Google Earth and look at the same place. But some, I may think of something just a little differently, but, and a light bulb goes off and it's like, oh, I'm, I need to try that, you know, but, um, you know, a lot of times I'm trying to think where people aren't going to try to be, you know, um, and that's hard, just hard. That's the hardest thing for me to figure is where somebody else doesn't want to go. Cause you know, if you pick a good looking spot, there's usually somebody else that did too, you know? So, yeah, but I mean, if it's a new place, I mean, I, I got to look at my access. Where can I come and go from this spot? And then, you know, if there's a particular piece that seems appealing, if I walk it out and, you know, I'm like, man, that's, that's a no brainer right there. I got to, I got to be able to get there and then look at where I have to come from. Can I, can I get to it safely? Mm-hmm. Um, I, for me, like can't stress enough the the access coming and going is, you know, without something knowing you're doing it is is as important as anything else. You know, yeah. um, if is if they me, know you're if they know you're coming, it's, you know, it's game over. Really, right. you know, you don't really have a chance before you start. Let's you just get you know 
the dumb running buck that comes by, you know, which, which can happen, you know? Yeah. Or you just get, uh, or you but, just get super, super luck, you know, super lucky. I'm, oh yeah. And that, that stuff happens. I mean, yeah. you have to be for that stuff. You just have to be present, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and good stuff happens. Like, you know, but you got to be there what happened so. yeah what uh um, so I'm, I'm imagining with as flat as i'm imagining it's flat so i mean maybe correct me if i'm wrong but it's, it's super flat and you know not a lot of topo to kind of hide behind so when you're talking about access like i can i can envision myself and this is just again a guy coming from a flatlander or a, a, you know, a guy coming from pennsylvania right <laughs> gonna come to mm-hmm. you know the the plain states to hunt I'm thinking about my access and that's one thing that I've thought about And you know, here I'll use, you know, whether it's terrain to kind of hide behind, you know, I can, I I can envision, you know, making sure to use, making sure my wind is correct for access in the plains. I get Mm -hmm. it. But the part that I struggle with a little bit is how am I hiding? Like, how am I hiding myself? How am I not being skylit? How am I not, you know, kind of out in the wide open, you know, because there's not yeah. a whole lot to hide behind. So how do you, you know, give me a, I guess, walk me through what you would, what you would do to access a property. Like, you know, what's a crazy thing you might do? Are you like going to a, a crick bottom and just walking the crick bottom up to be, to be hidden? But you know, what, what's your approach for that? This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. If I can come up with a, a plan where I feel like I am safe, and I don't care what I have to do. If I have to go out of my way to do it, like mm-hmm. I will do that. If, if I think this, you know, if me cutting across here is wrong because, like, the wind's wrong or something, if I have to go way out, out of my way, you know, I, I will just because that's, that's probably the most, one of the most important things for me. Um, it, uh, this is an example of, of one, one thing that I've, I've hunted for two years. It's on public. It's on a, on a little river. Um, I can, I can easily walk up to this stand from, from where I park. It's, it's easier to walk up there. But if I were to do that, everything would know I'm coming. And I just, I know, I just feel, you know, that that isn't going to work. You know, I could, I could get, kill something, but not, you know, I'm going to alert a lot of animals when I walk in there. So there's a, there's a river thing and I, I'll put it in my canoe and I'll, I got a paddle. It's like three quarters of a mile up this river, completely like going the wrong direction because there's a big oxbow that goes way out and around that's always fun too well, going the wrong direction right <laughs> yeah you go in the other direction you know and which is that's okay 
But once I get to the end of this oxbow, there's like a massive log jam that's like too big to cross. Like it's a hundred yard log jam. <laughs> so before season starts, I have to hide another kayak or canoe on the other side of this log jam. So, and I leave it there all season for the time I'm hunting, just way back off in the woods on the side of this creek or whatever. And so, you know, before the dark of the morning, I get up and I paddle about three quarters of a mile to the log jam, have to get out, walk over the, you know, walk over this little bit of at the point of the oxbow and then get back in this other little boat that I stash and then paddle another little, you know, quarter to half up to my, to my tree stand or whatever. I could easily walk up there. It's much easier, but I can, I can do that. You know, I take one boat and get in the other boat and then paddle up there and climb out of the bank and climb up my tree and, and nothing really knows I'm, I came or went, you know, I can sit there all day and then get back in my boat and float out of there, you know, and, and I don't feel like I damaged the place if I got to, you know, sit there again all day tomorrow or the third day, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, that water access that is one, pretty, that's pretty slick, man. How, how far are you, how far is your setup from getting out of that second boat? Would you say? Um, they're normally like really close to the creek. Like mm-hmm. that one, that creek's probably like 10 yards off the bank, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, cause I just, I want to just appear, you know, if I could, if I had one magical power just to <laughs> teleport, you know? Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, and a lot of my setups are, are via canoe or kayak and it has, you know, dealing with, with either going up creeks or rivers or crossing them or, or coves and with the wind in my favor. And that way I feel like typically I'm, you know, I'm like a hundred percent safe. You know, if I'm, mm-hmm. if I have a westerly wind and I'm cutting across, you know, a body of water and hit that bank and get out and get in a tree and my wind is blowing back across the water most of the time mm-hmm. like most of the time i don't ever bump anything you know right Some, sometimes there's stuff that may be there when you get there but right like that's that's not too big of a deal yeah and i would imagine but, uh, sitting that close to the water too you probably get a nice little thermal pool into that into that river yeah. whatever that bottle bottle yeah. of water is just kind of yeah. suck it right down back down the river i'd imagine mm-hmm. especially yep. sitting that close and, on it i mean that that's a lot of that's a lot of what I look for. I mean, currently it's just different places that, that probably have water in the way, really, you know, Mm -hmm. like a long time ago, I kind of, you know, I watched, I watched Eddie do some hunting and, and picked up on a couple things and, and, uh, decided I needed to, you know, be able to try to to get to where some other people weren't going to get. And, you know, I just, I figured a certain amount of people have a boat or a canoe or something. And uh, a certain amount of those people are actually going to get up in the dark in November and go use it, you know, <laughs> and, and that's yeah. a very, that's a few amount of people, but yeah, it seems to be getting more popular. Last year I saw quite a few other guys doing it and yeah, it, it, it has. I started, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I use a, I use a kayak for some access yeah. um, and it's, it, it's great. It's, uh, but it's a good way of hunting. I mean, like it's, you know, yeah, it's just a good solid way of, of hunting. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me, I mean, two things for me, and you and you hit them really. It, it's getting away from people. If you can just put a barrier between you and people, like one yeah. significant barrier, and you just cut down on so much of the traffic you're gonna have to deal with. And then mm-hmm. the second part is, is to your point, you know, for me, 
you know, just from my experience, I live in a suburban area. And so the, the public pieces we have around here aren't huge. And so if you can find a way to water access something, you know, if you find a place that, you know, maybe is unmolested and you're not getting a ton of pressure and stuff like that, man, I want to be able to hunt that thing as many times as I can. Cause there, I'm only going to have, but a few spots that are like that. And mm-hmm. if I can only hunt it once or twice a year, that's, that's not great. You know? So, you know, boat access for that purpose where you're just hopping up off the bank. You know, I have one of those places like that myself. I actually have two this year because mm-hmm. I just found another spot. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, three. Now that I think, <laughs> forgot about yeah. the other one. So you know, so it's like a couple places where I know I can pretty much, as long as I hunt it on the right wind, um, you know, and don't and don't get busted or whatever, I can pretty much hunt it as often as the wind will la- allow me for the whole season, and right. I should be good. You know. Yep. yep. Um, so what it is about that oxbow setup beyond you know the access is good and you're able to get away from people. You know, so you're, you're scouting a piece of public land, you've done your boots on the ground and stuff like that. And if you want to use the oxbow example as, you know, as an example, that's, that's fine. If, if there's another idea, um, just as well, but what kind of sign are you really looking for that gets you excited? You know, some guys, you know, are bed hunters, right? I have a buddy who's a bed hunter. He pretty much only hunts beds. That, that to me, it's like, I find beds once in a while. I'm not the best bed hunter. I'll throw some hunts at him, you know, you know, have another buddy who's a big, you know, he likes to hunt rub lines and rubs, especially in, you know, early to mid-ish October. And I, myself, Mm -hmm. I'm a scrape guy. I like to hunt near and around big primary scrape areas. Some other guys really prioritize finding tracks because they're trying to find and make sure that there's a big enough, you know, animal in the area. You know, what really kind of trips your trigger when you're, when you're, you know, going through an area, what are you really looking for as a, as potential setups? Um, for me, I mean, it's, it's, trying to find funnels, mm-hmm. um, trying to find places that I, I mean, it's just a, a no brainer that deer are going to travel through here, you know, either because they have to, or they're, or they want to, mm-hmm. um, now typically I'm hunting rutting deer, you know, deer that are on the move, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not a particular like this bed hunter. Mm-hmm. I, I watch some of these guys do it and I want, I, I haven't evolved that skill yet. Like I'm super interested in it. And I, I think there's some, yeah, extremely good outdoorsmen that, that are out there doing it. And it's, mm. I, I want to, that's something I want to work on and kind of improve myself. But yeah. Um, for now I've just been kind of a, a rut hunter, you know, um, bucks that are on the move um, and traveling. So yeah. I just try to sit in places that I think, you know, a male white-tailed deer is going to travel through, um, and, you know, and in, in the scouting in the winter, when I go do, you know, I try to do scouting basically in the winter and I'll go walk areas and walk as much as I can. And, you know, you'll find the big rubs or some big tracks or big scrapes. And, you know, that tells me there's good mature animals there, you know, right. and if there's, if there's those signpost rubs, those, I love seeing those because that's a good deer that, you know, maybe not the same one, but, there's a good deer that like that comes through here every year, mm-hmm. you know, and has, has touched this tree for five years, you know? So the odds of that happening again are pretty good. And, and if, if there's a way for, you know, if there's a, and, and there's not always a funnel, sometimes it's just like, you know, I, I may see this kind of sign along a river bank. And if I can access that bank, you know, with the wind in my favor, I may just sit there long enough until, one of them comes by, you know, mm-hmm. just out of stubbornness. Um, if I, if the wind is in my favor, you know, if I can sit there more than once or twice, you know, yeah. but, um, 
and, and a lot of it's just getting into some of those spots and then being there and spending the time there, you know, during, during that time of year, you know, when they should be traveling and, and looking for does and, and moving up and down, you know, creeks and rivers and stuff like that. Right. So when, so let me ask this, when are you doing most of your hunting? Do you kind of, do you kind of lay low, say like in October, is there a, ter- is there a certain kind of time frame where you, where you're yeah, like, where right. you're like, all right, it's go time. Yeah. I mean, if, if I had my way, I would just hunt the whole month of November, mm-hmm. you know, but Oklahoma, <clears throat> Oklahoma seasons are, are, are not set up particularly well for the bow hunter. Um, you know, we have a, an archery season and then like the second half of October is like a muzzleloader season and that throws all the guys out there on the public. And then you have about three weeks typically between muzzleloader season and rifle season, which rifle starts about November 21st ish, mm-hmm. you know, and for Oklahoma, like that's when I have to get it done, you know, when the deer are running and when the guys in orange aren't out there. Yeah. And and so that's my window. You know, I take off those two or three weeks and I just go hit it hard. And, you know, at the same time, I'll, I'll go up to Kansas and, and hunt up there too. And, you know, November in Kansas is always good. You never know what you're going to, you never know what you're going to run into, you know? Yeah. So it's not, I'm not saying it's easy, any easier up there, you know, but. Right. Yeah. You, know, you can, yeah. you never know what you'll see. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like, I kind of equate, you know, and look, I've never been to Kansas, so I don't, I don't a hundred percent. I would imagine though, I've hunted Iowa and I feel my feelings prior to going to Kansas this year are similar to how mm-hmm. I felt before I went to Iowa, which is look, if you're trying to hunt, you know, good deer, they're not easy anywhere trying to hunt, you know, good deer, a mature deer. That's not easy anywhere, but it's more target rich environment. And there's always that possibility during that time of year in November that a giant could walk out of nowhere because the, because they're there, you know? And so that's what, you know, is exciting for me is, you know, I'm not going to try to kill the biggest deer (laughs) this year. I'm (laughs) You know, I'm just trying to have fun and kill a kill a good deer. Um, you know, so right. I'm looking looking forward to be there. But the uh, I wanted to ask you. You mentioned that you you know, of course, you, you focus primarily on on when the deer are moving is when you're trying to get it done during that kind of you know short time frame um, that you have between you know before gun season comes in, and, and that you're really kind of avoid people. You know, that, right. I'm, I'm just trying to avoid the the most amount of people. But that's yeah. a good time of year. But if I could push rifle season back a little bit you know i would i would <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah i hear you i can't but so you mentioned you really kind of focus on you know funnels and different areas and stuff like that and so for mm-hmm. me again i'm i'm using my pennsylvania brain here or my northeastern eastern brain mm-hmm. where i can clearly visualize what those are in this type of terrain and in and, and habitat mm-hmm. But help mm-hmm. me understand what you would look for in a funnel or what might create those funnels in those areas where I don't really have a lot of topography that's going to help create them. Right. I, I think you'll have more topography than you you imagine or what you're expecting. Okay. It's not totally just flat, flat. I mean, maybe if you're going further out west, like, mm-hmm. I don't know where you're going exactly, but most of it's just not totally flat. So. Okay. You have the rolling hills and different things, but, um, you know, like one, one stand, there's a, there's a big ridge, you know, it's a big, 
north-south running ridge, wooded, heavy, heavily wooded ridge, and um, part of this creek that snakes through there, you know, and goes around and makes a big oxbow, comes back around and, and runs down along the base of this ridge for, you know, 200 mm-hmm. yards or so, and then makes, you know, bends two different directions and goes the other way or whatever. And, um, right. You know, that, that makes a bit of a funnel, not not saying that the deer have to walk down at the base of the ridge because they don't sometimes they're in the middle and sometimes they're on the top but um you know at the, at the you know down the north bend and the south bend um the creek bends back west um mm-hmm. you know where that fills out where that ridge fills out in the creek bottom it's just kind of a natural it's a natural funnel you know where mm-hmm. things come off that ridge you know and and I can sit in one corner with a north northeast wind, and then if the wind switches, I can kind of float back down the creek and get in this other tree if if it switches to like a southeast wind, you know. And so, uh, you know, that's what happened last year. The first year I hunted it, I just had the one stand for like a north northeast, and just because it pinched up against this ridge, and I I I saw big rubs in there that I scouted it in the winter before and saw saw a big rub and not. I mainly just really wanted to know what lived back there. And um, that's when I found the log jam and realized how much BS I was going to have to go through to get back there. Like, I, <laughs> I wasn't really sure if I was going to do it or not, but like I told myself I would. And then like eventually I did. And, you know, yeah. so the curiosity killed the cat. <laughs> I, had to, I had to get back there to know what made that rub, you know? So, yeah. But, yeah. Um, and so I, I sat at the year, you know, and realized, well, you know, what happens if the wind switches? I got to like get down and get all the way out of here because I don't have any other option, but I can hang one right back behind me, you know, and, and get in that one for a south, southeast or whatever. <clears throat> and so that that happened this year. You know, I sat, I sat in that tree, northeast wind, and then middle of the day, the wind switched and I got down and went to the other tree. And at, at 1, 1 p.m., you know, I ended up shooting a deer out of the other tree just out of randomness you know so right but um but it was that willingness yeah yeah and there's a little more detail to that story that i that i'll explain later that maybe that i feel you know was a big contributor to that happening but right but um other funnels i mean you know we're, we're in kansas especially i mean some of it's no-brainers where you just have some you know, big creek bottoms that are running up through massive, you know, uh, prairie country and stuff. And if it's like a big, you know, north-south drainage, like the whole drainage is kind of a funnel, you know. Mm-hmm. Like if you're sitting along it with an east wind or a west wind blowing, not going up and down the drainage, you know, like those deer are going to travel up and down that stuff looking for those. If it's a, if it's an east-west drainage, you know, you can you got an easy north-south type setup, you know. Right. As far as picking the exact spot, you know, that's when you kind of can walk up and down that, that drainage and, and maybe notice, you know, the rubs or the scrapes or, you know, a particular thing that would choke them down to instead of a hundred yard area, maybe half of that, you know, if it's a big blow down trees or, you know, a ditch or something like that. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Th- those drainages are interesting because. I know whenever I was talking to Eddie, he was, he was talking about, or we talked about it just a little bit. And, you know, I was asking him just about October hunts and stuff like that. Cause we have a mutual friend that likes to 
when he hunts and takes his trips, you know, a mutual friend of ours does it pretty much in, you know, in October before the, you know, the rut pressure rolls in anywhere. And this mutual friend of ours suggested I th- consider going to Kansas in October because he was like, you know, you can probably still get something that's on a, a bed to food pattern. You could probably glass one up, watch him for like a day or two and then go in and try to intercept. Um, and so mm-hmm. I was asking Eddie a little bit just about like, you know, where he's found, you know, bedding or where he's where he's potentially hunted beds. And what he had mentioned was in those drainages. And he said, if you go back and I'm just curious if you've had a similar kind of experience, he said, if you go back and maybe follow like a, a drainage, you know, almost like a river or a stream would have like a secondary or a third kind of branch off of it. And he was like, if you go back into those areas, he's like, that's where I've typically found, you know, bucks bedded. So using your example, if you got an East West drainage, you know, those secondary kind of branches would be those, you know, those North or South facing um, branches, so to speak. And right. it didn't dawn on me until after he had mentioned it, because we have something similar around here where it's like, if you're hunting Ridge country, you might have an East West running Ridge and you're going to have a bunch of secondary kind of ridges that come off that, that are like North and South ridges. And now a lot of times that's where you'll find bucks bedded. And so it's literally mm-hmm. like the same topography feature only inverted. And I'm just curious, do you right. kind of, do you see some, some similar things to that where like those secondary kind of branches off of those drainages are those kind of like areas that maybe are good funnels or good places to kind of check? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, you know, he's right, and he knows uh, more about deer than <laughs> than than most people. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, and I, I think you know, kind of what he's saying is, you know, some of those bucks, and especially mature bucks, like to get uh, out by themselves, you know, mm-hmm. and have some peace and quiet, and they'll they'll get up in the head of one of those drainages and and uh, out there in, in some places that you wouldn't really expect them to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a reason they're there. Cause like you can't really get to them, you know, like if they can, they, they lay there and can smell one wind direction and then they can, you know, look the other direction, you know, and they're just laying underneath one little, one little tree on a pond dam, you know, at the head of a little prairie draw, you know, like they're pretty smart. Like they've mm-hmm. got, they got it figured out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, in the same time, you know, they will get up and go to cruising and, and go down that drainage or, you know, and it's not the main part of some drainages. It's the little fingers like he's talking about that they will, they'll go troll around in looking for those does and they'll have, they'll have, some, we call them plum thickets. They may have a, a better name for them, but, mm-hmm. you know, they'll, they'll have some of that thick habitat in the head of those straws. And um, a lot of times where maybe two of those little draws maybe come close to you know creating a saddle basically from one maybe one drainage to another right like those those kansas here don't have any problem you know hopping over those saddles and going from this drainage and hopping over to that one and cruising down that one and then making a tour you know yeah and and i found it in some places that you know for, would think outside the bubble or off the wall or you know seem crazy because you know you may be out in the trees and they take it out in the wide open or whatever, but like sometimes that's where they're at. You yeah. Know? So. And, that, and that's the one thing Eddie had mentioned too. Like, so give me, did, have you had some scenarios like that where it was just like you set up in a spot where even you thought to yourself, like, what am I doing here? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, like, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> most of the, some of the spots I still sit once I get there, I'm like, man, this sucks. Like what in the world? <laughs> this, this is like the, I, I promise like one of the, 
trees left, killed some good deer. Every time I go there, I'm like, this is the suckiest spot in the state of Oklahoma. Like, <laughs> like this is terrible. It's terrible. And it's all you can do to make yourself sit there. But like, but I know it works. Then like, it, I have to sit there because it's worked too many times now, you know, like, yeah. But, um, it, well, what's, like what's the, different? What's different about that spot? <laughs> that particular spot, it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a south wind spot. It's, it's on a you know a tributary of water and basically i uh, but it makes makes a little bend there so the the creek just makes a big enough it's a north north south running creek but it makes just big enough bend west where i can sit there and have my wind blow south and blow basically straight up Mm -hmm. the creek Mm -hmm. without it going straight up the bank you know Mm -hmm. and so um that's what caught my eye that that was it about that spot but there was a little funnel feature to it because there was a there was like an overflow pond, you know, not too far off the river, which made like a, like a 20 yard pinch point, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what caught my eye originally was like that, that is a very narrow spot, but the, the deer don't really travel past that much. They kind of turn around. Um, but, uh, so would you hunt that on there, a North wind? Is that what you said? So I hunt it with a South wind, like South wind. the, okay. the, 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 um, I'm on the west side of this creek and it goes up and bends west just a hundred yards maybe and then turns back north. And, and so, so there's just a little stretch, a little stretch there that I can sit with the south, southwest, you know, type wind. I can sit west is safe, but And I'm I guessing deer are coming from the deer are coming from the north on that setup. They're ma- mainly coming from the south. So I'm hmm. sitting there, you know, from I'm sitting there with my you know, wind blowing south and my my sense blowing north, and I think the deer are probably somewhere southerly of my hmm. of where I'm sitting, you know. And it's it's kind of a you know block of timber that comes up and kind of peters out um, at this pond. And um, the, the the original reason I sat there was just because the the safety of winter. I needed the south wind. I needed the place to sit safely with the south wind. Yeah, you know, along along this bank where I think deer are going to travel. You that's know, and, that, that's and, just really interesting because I mean that south wind like they've almost got to be partially tailwinded right to get there right. Well, I mean, if they're south of you know if they're south or southwest of me and the wind's blowing south southwest, it's blowing away from them, right? You know, yeah, and blowing it back back up the water basically right. back up the river or creek or whatever. Huh. Um, and the, I think the first year I sat there, I saw a decent little rub, and that's you know, got me excited and I sat there. I don't even know if I saw beers the first year I sat there. And, but the the next few years I, I sat there and it's, I, I think when the wind's out of the south, deer kind of naturally, you know, deers have their different bedding areas depending on their wind direction, you know? Yeah. And I think when the wind's out of the south, they kind of migrate up this direction towards this end of the, this habitat, you know? That Not would, saying it's going yeah. yeah. I was just going to say that would make sense because then they would have the, they, I mean, they would be able to smell pretty much everything if they're bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think they work. You know, they work their way up here, and then, and then they have, the, they have it in their advantage. You know, mm-hmm. and and I, cool. I've watched them do it. Like last year, there was a little buck that came in, and he came in, and I watched them go around the whole little area and and kind of smell over here and smell over here, and he got it completely in his favor, and then kind of went back into the wind about a hundred yards and bedded down like right in front of me. <laughs> but um that's that's funny because my next question was going to be i was going to say like well why do you think that they're there but then once you mentioned it you know that they're 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 
possibly coming up there to bed. I was like, well, that makes sense yeah. because then yeah. they've got the wind. Yeah, so, I mean, I, th- I think when, when the wind, you know, favorable for them, they worked their way up into this area and then, and then it, the wind's in their face with a south wind and, you know, they're doing the same thing I'm doing basically. Right. Um, now, but as I've, as I've sat there over the years, like mm-hmm. I've killed four good deer over there. Um, and I know it's a bedding area in which, you know, bucks are going to come check these does and, and stuff, but like, it's like a breeding spot. Mm-hmm. Like there's spots where bucks will push does, um, you know, and eventually kind of keep an eye on them or manage them or, you know, not let them get away, you know, yeah, and kind of make them submit or let her get comfortable and then she'll submit basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is one of those spots because I've, I've seen it three or four times now where, where a good buck will, will bring a doe in here and, and then just kind of back off and, and he'll, he'll let her be comfortable and let her relax. And she may go bed down in a thicket and he may go stand there or lay down next to her. Um, and she may get up and he'll get up and, you know, he's, he's being pushy, but he's not, you know, and he's just kind of letting her relax really. Yeah. And I mean, about three, three different bucks that I can think of have done that in this exact same spot. And then, mm-hmm. and I, I, it's probably just cause it's a bedding area and, and they know to come up there and, and check for them. But it's also, it, it must be a really sanctuary safe feeling place for, for them to push up in there and then get relaxed enough to, you know, to breed and all that stuff. Yeah. So, or the, or the buck knows I, he can kind of cut them out up there and, and not really get bothered by other, cut them out. other bucks, you yeah. know, cause I know that that was yeah. one thing. Eddie was mentioning too was just around that because I forget which deer it was that he killed. I think it was like a big deer he killed in that blue stem. He said was out in the middle of nowhere. He said, but there he just kept seeing this buck like out here that he thought that this deer would be out here, and he was literally just cutting a doe out and brought it out there to to breed her. And that's where he would yeah. cut. Yeah, he would bring does to it. And he said it was in the middle of like nothing. You know, it was like, yeah. like literally nothing. Like there were the the one tree he could get into, and that was it. You know, and everything else mm-hmm. was just you know blue stem grass i guess is what you guys i don't know what the event yeah. looks like but you know and that's why he that's why he set up there so that makes sense it seems like that's you know I, I mean i know that that happens in other places i don't know if it's in like you know real thick timber or whatever that it's a little harder to to, to find or see I, I saw that whenever i was in iowa there was one particular deer that i've saw it for a couple i missed him actually twice which sucked um but he actually the i think it was the third time i'd seen him he, uh I guess the third and fourth time I'd seen him, he had a doe that he had cut out and he was just spending time in this one particular area. And it seems like they almost have like, especially as mature deer where they might cut something out and take them off away. Mm-hmm. Even if it's outside of like an area they might typically be, you know, they just have this little spot where it's like a hidey hole that they're going to like, I got my girl, I'm going to take her so I don't get bothered. And then yeah. I'll be back in the game once I'm done. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I'm not so sure the does don't, you know, aren't just as a, a part of that as well. Like right. they, they want to, they want to be comfortable too, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And, and I, I, I think they like to go off into a secluded, secluded place, a brush pile, the head of a prairie draw, you know, somewhere that, you know, they can relax and then be comfortable or whatever, instead of just being ran to death. <laughs> yeah. I know if but, you have the option, do you want to be run to death or would you like to go lay down? I would opt for lay down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I, I've seen it, you know, in, in some of the Kansas deer, like he mentioned, and they, 
they will. I mean, they just act like a cutting horse and mm-hmm. they, they'll just cut them off. And once they get them out in some of that open country, like there's, there's no getting away. Like, you right. know, some yeah. of those bucks are, are so agile. It's, it's pretty neat to watch. I, I watched that happen once in Oklahoma, um, along a river. Mm-hmm. And that was probably one of the like national geographic moments. <laughs> like I, I watched this, doe and this bus pile off into a river and she was running from him and he was chasing her like a cutting horse and they they swam across the river and got you know where they could run on in the water but on the beach and like she would run as fast as he could and he would run like twice as fast and cut <laughs> her off and she would turn and he would be there and they eventually ended up you know in the in the woods on my side or whatever and once they got to the cover he backed off and he just let her relax, you know, and he stood about 40 yards away and she just kind of relaxed and fed along and he would, he'd grunt and, you know, rub his antlers on some branches or whatnot sometimes, but he wasn't just still pushing, still pushing. He, he knew that like, she wanted to be over here and he was good with that, you know, and he was keeping an eye on her and she wasn't going anywhere and, you know, right. and that's, that's where they were going to do their thing, but nice yeah that's that would be that would be cool to see like that's uh yeah that was was awesome yeah (laughs) man i'm I'm curious you know i'm always especially you know hunting somewhere outside of pa because i mean there's just a ton of pressure here so a lot of times you know calling and things like that are probably more harm than good in a lot of cases around here in certain instances you know do Mm -hmm. you do you do a fair amount of calling you know or no calling like what's your what's your you know approach to that yeah, um, I do a little bit of calling, you know, a little bit of grunting, and then I'll throw in um, a little bit of rattling every now and then. Um, I've I've had more success, you know, kind of rattling in a deer in Kansas more than I have really in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably just depends on the pressure and the seasons and how these deer get hunted differently than some of those up there, because because they get the muzzleloader season and all that, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I I don't call a lot. I mean, I, I don't, like, do the snort wheezing and all that stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll let out a little grunt every now and then, um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll clench my antlers. I got a you know, pretty good set of antlers that have a good sound to them, and I'll hit those, you know, once or twice throughout the course of a all day sit, you know, like in the morning sometime and maybe in the evening sometime. But right. um I I've rattled in a lot of good deer before, you know, in Kansas. I've I've seen deer and then rattled to them and had great responses and had them, you know, come in on a string before. Right. Um have you have you found you've had more success rattling in the morning or the evening or or, or are you not really really sure? Because I know yeah. some folks that they, they have different feelings about when they when rattling works for them. Right. Um, I I don't know if I would if I had a particular one. I don't know if I've really, really thought about it. If one works better in the morning or the evening. Um, yeah, that's. I, yeah, I'm just, I'm I'm not, just I'm curious. Not sure exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I've done it at, at all times, really. I mean, and so. Now I've put yeah, something in your know. brain. You have to you have to kind of yeah. pay attention to it this year and see what yeah. see what see what happens. The uh, you know in Oklahoma I don't really rattle a whole lot. If it is, it's just to make a little bit of 
just enough noise to, you know, I'm not simulating two bucks fighting really, just a little bit of antler noise, you know, to get something curious maybe, but. Right. A little bit of light sparring to say, Hey, there's a couple of deer yeah. in the area type of thing. Yeah. Any decoying for you, man? Do you ever get into the using decoys? No, I never have. No. Um, I never have or sense or anything like that. Just, I, you know, pretty much just try to hunt the wind, mm-hmm. you know, keep the wind in my favor and like get, get into a spot and get out of a spot. So, right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. if you're doing if you're doing those things right, you're typically ahead of the game in general, <laughs> right? You yeah. know, you know, in a lot in a yeah. lot of cases, because a lot of people's hunts kind of start stop before they even begin because of because of those things specifically, you know. Yeah, they're you know, keep it simple. You know, I try to keep it simple. You know, and that's my approach. Um, yeah, I don't do a lot of trail cameras really. I mean, I I have some and I I put them up. You know sometimes and got pictures every now and then but um i don't really use them or rely on them just you're really kind of just relying on like the sign that you see and stuff like that to kind of qualify if there's a good deer in the area and stuff you know just hunt kind of how we would if we didn't have all this stuff really you know kind of picking a terrain feature maybe scouting it saying yeah there's there's deer sign here there's good deer sign here um, if I sit here, I could be, you know, with the wind in my favor, this, this might work. And then, then actually just go do it and see if it actually works, you know? Right. Um, no. for me, you know, I, I don't do enough cameras to, to feel like I'm being productive. Sometimes I feel like I'm unproductive. You know, if I don't get a picture that I might get frustrated or if I, I feel like they know I'm there, like each time I go in there, if I want to check that thing or something like that, I may go hang one in one spot that I hunt, but like, I, ne- I never want to go check it unless <laughs> I actually go there to hunt, you know? Yeah. And then I don't really want to get out and walk 20 yards over there because like ground that puts in on the ground that something yeah. might walk by while I'm sitting here today. So, well, I mean, I think yeah. the approach that you take is pretty, I mean, results speak for themselves. It's, you know, it's a solid, yeah. it's a solid approach. I mean, you're, yeah, you know your like your style. Very I don't want I don't want to put words in your mouth. Like, but your style is more of surprise. Like you, yeah. you want to be there before they ever know that you've potentially ever been yeah. there, and you want the yep. first encounter to be the one where an arrow goes off. Essentially, is it? Yeah, you know. And I, I mean, yep. and there's there's something super cool about that, just from the perspective of you know when you walk into a place man like you don't know what deer necessarily is around the corner per se you know and that yep. is kind of exciting like that's the one thing i always kind of enjoy about hunting out of state is cuz i don't know what deer are possible you know i'm reading sign trying to figure it out and i think there's a good one here but who knows right. what's going to walk by me i'm just going to try to set up the best hunt i can and 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 see what happens and i think that that's yep. something that i think folks get away from some and i think you know it's always good to add some of that back into back into your life in my opinion Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, like I said, there's two, there's a couple different ways of hunting and and getting the job done. And that's just, that's where I'm at. And, you know, some guys have different resources than others. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's just how, how I know to do it. It's just kind of the work, work at it. And and, just, you know, feel like I'm, feel like I'm safe going into a place and then kind of put my faith into that and, and, put my time in and, and see what happens, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of satisfaction when it does work, you know, yeah. there's a lot of satisfaction that comes with that, you know? Yeah. And there's, but, and, and there's conviction in what your eyes are telling you too. 
you know, and I think oh, that yeah. that's one thing that people, you know, get, a, get away from to a degree is they, um, they let their eyes kind of lie to them or they don't believe their eyes, you know, so to speak. And I think that's something hard to do. And I don't think that that comes, you know, that, that only comes with time and scouting and seeing a lot of stuff, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you have right. to kind of build that, build that confidence up. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you said, time and, and, and experience and learning from all that stuff. And, you know, and, you know, like you said, kind of seeing, seeing with your eyes and believing what you see. And, um, you know, and there's, there's another part of that, which is like I mentioned kind of when we visited before is just your gut feeling, mm-hmm. um, hunting by feel and hunting by intuition and, um, listening to that stuff. Um, right. I, I could, I could go through a lot of my deer stories and, and give you an encounter where, you know, I had a gut feeling. And so I followed this decision and, and later something grand came out of it, you know, right. and then it, it wasn't, it may not be a big decision at the moment, but afterwards you kind of look back and you're like, wow, if I hadn't done that, like this may have never happened, you know, or, and it's just listening to yourself, listening to your gut and kind of, and, and following that sometimes, but yeah. So I, I'm curious, man, I'm going to, we're going to pivot here a little bit. So we, we kind of learned about the area you're hunting and some of the things you're looking for and stuff like that, you know, just not to bring Eddie back into this, but you know, he mentioned to me when we got off the phone, you know, when we were just kind of chatting, he, he said, I know this fella, <laughs> Travis, that is probably one of the most consistent fellas that I, that I know, you know, <laughs> as far as like, being able to get it done and you know it just and it just he's consistent right he works at it and yeah. it puts the effort in and, and the work is is done and then it's leading to this consistency that he has and and in killing good deer on public land and so i'm just curious you know and it might be some of these little decisions that you talked about that you made and so if it is then we can just dive into that but you know if you had to kind of think about your approach to hunting overall like what do you think you know what do you think kind of when you ref, let me put it this way, I guess when you reflect on a season past, that you've been successful or multiple seasons, right? You know, what do you feel leads to some of that consistency that you're having that you're seeing whenever you're out there trying to put an arrow in something? Um, Hard question. I know, man, put you on the spot. Well, Sorry. I mean, <laughs> so the, the biggest consistency for me is, is, is where, where all this comes from. I mean, like, I, I, I give credit to God for everything that he, you know, produces and gives to me. Um, and, and when I go and sit, that, that, there's, that's a, a lot of, a lot of my strategy, um, is, you know, is, is just knowing that, that he is, you know, the, the creator and controller of all these things, um, of us and of them. And, you know, um, I believe you reap what you sow you know, you, you do good and, and hopefully you get repaid and, um, you know, but when I, when I go and, you know, sit in some of these places, I know that I can put in the work and put in the effort and, you know, like luck is preparation meets opportunity. You know, I can shoot my bow all summer. I can hang my stands, but when it comes down to, you know, the day, you know, you got to go get in that stand and you got to sit there and you got to do your part and be there. And, and once I get, to any of these spots whichever way the wind blows whatever stand i end up in that day once i get there like i mean i have a a realization and and i know that like i have no control over this because 
you know, I'm not baiting them. I'm not really, I don't know who they are. I don't have a nickname for them or anything like that. I just know that there's, you know, some of his animals that live here. And, and if he wants me to have one, like, and be a good steward of it, um, you know, then he'll send one by. And if, however that may be, if it's a lone buck on a cruise, if it's a doe that changes her mind and, you know, comes this way instead of that way, you know, um, I've just seen too many amazing things um, to not believe that that he really um, just blesses me with a lot of this stuff. Because, like I said, I could I could mention off probably all of my stories, and and you know he'd probably say, "Wow, that yeah, that makes sense," you know. So, right. but um, and 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 that's a lot of it. I mean, like all I can do is put in some work, put in some effort, you know, and and get there. Yeah. But once I'm there, like, I don't have any control, you know, of, of any of these animals. Like, you know, I can't call them all to me. You know, I can't, I can't do anything, you know, so you feel helpless once you get there. <laughs> and it's just like, man, and as you sit there for hours and hours and days and days, you start, you know, asking for some help. It's like, you know, <laughs> hey, Lord, like, I, I could really use some help, you know, like, yeah. I know I've been trying to do this all on my own and, and you'll let me, like, you'll let let me carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. So like, you know, if you ask for help, he'll, you know, he'll help you. And it's just, I, I've, I've seen it in a few different times where I'm like, you know, that this year's terrible. This year's going to suck. I don't know if there's any deer around, like you really might need to help me this year, buddy, you know, right. and, and something like um, amazing will happen. And, and then it happens and you're like, wow, that just happened. And like, you are amazing, you know. I mean, I and, think that's. Uh, I mean, dude, so man, I, that that's a great answer. Like, because it's uh one of my favorite things about being in the timber, and I think sometimes we get caught up in like the the deer the strategy of it, and like what's the wind doing, and what's the third, like all those things are important. But right. it's it's those moments of clarity that you get to have whenever you're, um, when you're able to there be there and be present. You know, I I think, and that to me is like the part that we oftentimes lose sight of, right? Is just, is don't be an observer, be a participant, you know? Yeah, Yeah, that's a good, you know, and I don't know, like it's those moments whenever I, you know, where I kind of take stock in that is to your point is when something really cool happens, whether I stick an arrow in it or not, it's usually something really cool happens. I get to experience something that I've not ever experienced before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, most guys, you know, a lot of people get caught up and and lose focus over why we're out there, you know, why we should be out there. If it's, you know, trying to keep up with somebody else or, you know, everybody's on the inches and big antlers and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and that runs a lot of guys hunts, you know, Mm -hmm. like I've, I've seen it frustrate a lot of guys where, where they go out and they don't meet somebody else's expectations you know mm-hmm. and um and then it, that's not what it's about you know and the, the size of the buck i mean it really doesn't matter um they're nice they're nice to have they're awesome to look at and they look cool and but like after it's all said and done like that really wasn't you know the whole purpose of it you know mm-hmm. and it, it's easy to get lost in the world of, of you know this industry now the hunting world you know, mm-hmm. with with the video and keeping up with with the market or whatever, but um, yeah, those things are fleeting. But at the end those of the things day, are fleeting like, for sure. 
yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, like that, it's not about the size of the deer. It's just it's about the memory. It's about you know the whole the whole experience of it, like you said, and and being present and living in that moment. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is a perfect time. I just have like two more things for you. I think um, being present in the moment and the, making those memories. So, what I wanted to see if you could do is if you would be willing or could share a specific hunt that sticks out to you when you look back that 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 you really felt that this was a moment where either you like you learned an important lesson, it helped you become a better hunter, or something along the or something that might have just been a really cool hunt. Do you have anything like that that sticks out to you? Oh yeah. Um I mean I'll just I'll just touch on, you know, last year's season. Um I, I killed a couple, you know, nice deer. Um I I hunted in Oklahoma, um out of that south wind stand I was talking about and ended up shooting shooting a good deer, um, what I thought to be in the liver. You know, it mm-hmm. it was back and it was low and uh, he didn't go very far and he looked ill he looked sick you know um we i backed out and i I waited like six hours before i came back and me and my brother started looking for him and we ended up you know jumping him up he didn't go very far um and we ended up jumping him up a second time and then after that he made it to this weed field and um, you know i lost him out there Um, i spent a couple the next two days kind of looking looking for him through that weed field trying to figure out where he had went and um you know, never really figured that out. So I think by the third day, you know, it was time to go get back in a tree. And I went up to Kansas and um, shot uh, this other good deer um, in the exact same place, like <laughs> in the liver. Um, and he had the exact same reaction. He didn't go very far and he looked very sick. Um, it was 1 p.m., you know, and so I backed out and I didn't come back until the next morning. You know, I knew six hours obviously wasn't long enough. And I had a good feeling he was going back to his bed. And so I wanted to let him get there and hopefully he was there the next morning, you know. So um, I go back the next day and I make it to that bed. He's not in it. I do see a drop of dried blood and I see a drop of semi-dried blood, which led me to believe he was there that morning and and he got up and walked out when when he saw me walking in. And um so I walked up, you know, to the top of this ridge and looked around a little bit where I thought where, you know, just on a, a whim where I thought he might go <clears> through some thickets or whatnot. And I, I didn't see him. So long story short, I walked like five miles looking around um, this weed field and thorn field, you know, just randomly searching. And I, I, I found his second bed, which was maybe 100 yards from his first bed. And there was a drop of blood in it. I'd go back to this point and then I would, you know, I'd venture off and go search and then come back to this and regroup and, and just kind of search this whole area. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it was getting three o'clock or so. I had about one more good long search before sunset. And, you know, and, uh, throughout the day, I never really got like discouraged and down, you know, it's real easy to get, uh, discouraged and give up and, you know, think, you know, what you're seeing is terrible. Like there was very little blood, you know, and then and we, you call your buddies and you're like, well, I did this. Yeah, I could look this, you know, this is what I'm seeing. And, and they're like, yeah, that doesn't sound too good, man. You know, like, and it, it's discouraging, but um, in the, in the back of my mind, I always just kind of, 
felt like I wasn't going to give up. And, and throughout that day of walking through all the thorns, you know, I was just kind of like, you know, Lord, just kind of guide my feet, you know, mm-hmm. um, just help me, help me with my decision making here and there and just, you know, take me where I need to go. And uh, so I'm, I was laying in his, laying in his bed, you know, kind of just relaxed and figuring out what I needed to do. And uh, I was like, I, I need to go one more good walk. And I stood up and about 20 yards away, there's a doe standing there. And, and she's like 10 yards off of this trail that I've already walked down. There's a, there's a deer trail and she's just off of it a little bit and she's 20 yards from me. And I kneel down and she kind of eventually gets nervous and leaves. And I was like, well, I wonder what she was standing by. And I was like, I'm going to walk over there. And I walk over there and there's this deer laying there <laughs> and he's dead. And he's, 25 yards from where I've been looking all day long, you know, <laughs> like I walked five miles around him, and he's 25 yards from where I've been laying, you know, looking. And it was just like, <clears throat> I, I, you know, I, <clears throat> I broke down in tears because it was just like, um, yeah. the satisfaction of not, not really giving up, you know, and, and, and knowing that, uh, you know, he kept a good attitude and it was like, it was just kind of a test of like, you know, of will, of, of will, you know, not giving up, not getting discouraged, not getting down at the mouth, not, you know, being like, dang it, you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of going and going and going. And then it was like, it was like, he was like, you've been good, you know, like, here you go. Right. Um, you, know, you, can, you can have him back. Like, you're going to, you're, you're going to hang on to this guy and you're going to be a good steward to him. Like, yeah, you can have him back, you know? Yeah. And man, I was so grateful. Yeah. And that. Uh, so I brought him home and, and dealt with him and then ran right back up to the deer camp or whatever. And, and like, and was going to get back in the stand, you know, and the, the next day I had, uh, I was going to go get in that South wind stand where I wounded that first deer and, and hunt a little bit and then get down and go look for him. And, and, uh, that time it was, it's time to get down. And my brother was supposed to meet me and all this stuff. And I didn't want to bother his hunt. And I was like, you know, don't worry about it today. We'll do it tomorrow. Like I'm going to, I'm going to go take this tree stand down that's, you know, it's about a mile up the, up the river or whatever. And so I walked up, I walked up the river in the middle of the day and like took my, you know, I didn't walk or paddled actually, right. but took my canoe, put, took my canoe up the river or whatever and took my stand down. And, and, you know, that was kind of the end of the day. I, I may have hunted that evening, whatever. So the next day comes and I'm going to, same game plan. I'm going to sit and then we're both going to go look for this deer. We're going to beat this weed field down, you know, He's got to be out there somewhere. And and just as a reference from where I shot the deer, let's just say he ran 400 yards south, south you know. Right. And so um, this, this tree stand I took down was a mile north, so opposite direction. So um, I get down uh, on that Thursday, and I was like, well, I need to, I need to go look for this deer. And then I, I remembered I'd left, like, this machete that was um, laying on the river up there when I took my stand down a mile up the river like a $20 machete from Academy. But my daughter um, had got it for me for Father's Day, like five mm-hmm. years ago or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And by the way, my daughter's name is Easton. Um, you know, so she got named after the Arrows a long right. time ago. It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> but uh, so, so I was like, oh, man, I was like, Easton got me the, that machete. I need to go get it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it's a, it's a mongoloid of a walk, you know. And, yeah. So I, I walk up there and I get my machete and I'm just kind of walking back. I was like, I'll do a little, you know, November fresh deer scouting, you know, on my way back. Like just look at some of this deer sign while I, 
head back down that way to go look for my deer. And I'm going, and I'm about halfway back, so I'm, you know, I'm still five, six hundred yards north of my stand or whatever, which that deer had ran like four or five hundred yards south, right? And and I'm just in some big, like, tall yellow grass flooded, you know, stuff and uh, along along the river and kind of walk off in this little depression and there was like a couple of cottonwood trees and I, I walked up in there and like I just had this feeling and I was like, I was like, this feels like a good place for something to like lay down and die. Mm-hmm. And and I looked over and like at the base of this cottonwood tree is this, I see a deer's rib cage and I'm like, well, there's a dead deer. And I walk over there and it's this, it's my buck <laughs> that I'd shot 10 days earlier. Jeez. And, and I, you know, for not 10 full days looking, you know, from, from the dash shot him to two days looking to this, you know, I'd, I'd been looking and I had my bow in my hand all the time, you know, right. and I'd been looking for this deer actively to, to try to, you know, find them and get them. And, uh, and then, you know, here I go walking up the river and, and I come back and all I've got is the machete in my hand and it hit me uh, and it's like, you know, and, and again, I never really got down in the mouth about this deal either. I was, I was, you know, bummed about the situation, but I wasn't, you know, I hadn't given up. Right. I, I didn't really expect to find them, but I, the story wasn't over. I didn't feel like it was over, like he was gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh. And I, I was standing there, and it, it was like the same same feeling of like, um, you know, you've been you've been good, and uh, and here he is, and like, you now you have the right tool to remove, you know, basically what you can salvage, you know, because the coyotes had got him, and he was ten days old, and right. you know the meat obviously wasn't as good, but you know, I I'd been walking around with a bow and arrow looking for him, and I wasn't really going to be able to remove his his head with that, you know, but um. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, if I had not left that machete, you know, on accident the day before, you know. Would have never made um, it there. And if I, had, if, if, I, if I hadn't decided to walk up there and get it, um, yeah, just because my daughter bought it for me, you know. Yeah. Like, like well, you can't make that stuff up, you yeah, know. Yeah. That, I, I feel like that's her deer, though, right? <laughs> Do what? I said, I feel like that's her oh, deer yeah, then, yeah. right? <laughs> she, gets, she gets her own deer for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Nice, man. But, well, but I mean, that one was just like, I don't, I don't know how to like, I couldn't make that up, you know. That's and crazy. Certain man. little two, things two happen, di- and it's a, it's a gut, a gut feeling of yeah, you should, you should go get that, you know. Yeah. And it would be really easy to be like, no, I'm not gonna walk up there and get that. I'll just go buy a new one, you know. Yeah. But it's, so it's much listening of, to those little things. It, it's so much of success in general, not just deer hunting, but just in life in general is doing the little things. It's the things that people don't pay attention to and that people aren't going to get, um, recognition from, you know, and those are the things that a lot of folks don't want to do because there's not like, there's not an immediate reward to it, um, or immediate gratification from it. Um, right. The secret sauce, in my opinion, here we're getting all philosophical, but secret sauce, in my opinion, the life is all those little things. It's every one, it's every single one of them. It's, you know, because those are the things that lead to those, um, I guess moments of meaning that you'll have, you know, whether it's in the deer woods or yeah. with your family or whatever it is. Um, those are the important things because those are the things that are overlooked. And those are also the things of that you're 
the people you care most about recognize. You know, it's like it's yeah. not like taking the family on the big vacation. It's being present at the dinner table. It's not right. buying your daughter a fancy car on her 16th birthday. It's being there for her year one through 16 when she needed you. It's all those yeah. things, you know? Um, yeah. And so, man, that's a killer story, dude. I, I have one more question for you. I almost feel like I shouldn't even ask it. Cause I feel like that was such a good ending, but, <laughs> uh, but you're, uh, you're fine. <laughs> the, uh, one last question. And this is a, this is a fun one. I always like to end with this one, man. Cause I always just like to get people's perspectives on, you know, their, their hunting circle, but you know, three on three basketball, you're familiar with three. I don't know if you watch much basketball, but like a three on three tournament, you know, pickup uh-huh. game. If you had to build a three on three basketball tournament, um, with nothing but deer hunters. And the goal of that team was to kill, you know, good deer on public ground, like your life depended on it. Who would those three hunters you would pick to be on your team? Oh man. Um, obviously probably Eddie and, and my brother. Yeah. Yeah. And then do, yeah. you, have, do you have one, do you have one more? Uh, as far as like, uh, somebody famous or something. Oh, no, they don't have to be famous. It doesn't matter. Just, you know, it was, uh, how I found out about you was I asked Eddie the same question. He put you on his team. So <laughs> yeah, he put me on his team. <laughs> oh, dang. Man, the, the guy, one of the guys I, you know, that I learned a lot from, he's not, not here anymore. You know, if I, if I were to could pick anybody, I, I would say Bert, mm-hmm. you know, an old buddy of mine, but that was, uh, he was good at what he did for sure. Um, man, as far as somebody nowadays, you know, no, uh, Bert's fine, man. They don't have to be with us. They yeah, can be, they can be, yeah. they can be people who are no longer with us, man. I think that that's perfect. Yeah. Eddie, your brother, yeah. Bert, man. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Killer. Albert Nitz was his name. He, he, um, he used to run an archery shop in Bartlesville and stuff like that. I used to shoot, she used to shoot archery competition and stuff for him. And he, he would be, um, like this guy you're, you're described as a silent killer one of the guys that was extremely good at what he did and nobody ever heard about it Mm. well he was he was one of those guys nice well hopefully a couple people hear of him today yeah you know listen to this and uh hey man i appreciate you coming on um sharing your stories with me honestly this conversation was refreshing man just your your approach it's it's you know, salt of the earth kind of approach, man, that, you know, you don't get a lot of, you know, in, 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 in these days, so to speak, um, your, you know, your grit, your, your work ethic and your, and your faith and humility. It's inspiring, man. I, I just appreciate you coming on. Yeah. No, I appreciate you having me and, uh, feel, feel free to call me anytime if you want to. Want to talk beer? <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. I'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all.
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.